LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. Be led by God before you lead others. Whatever area of influence you're in, God's put you there, and he's put you there to be faithful with whatever's entrusted, but it's always in the context of relationships. And so whether you're a pastor or a plumber, whether you're a politician or whatever it is that you do, you should seek to be led by God so that as you're influencing others, you're influencing them toward him and not away from him. Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy, here with my co-host, Dan Eiten. Hey, what's up, Chandler? Excited today we've got with us Garrett Kell. Garrett is the pastor of Delray Baptist Church in Alexandria, Virginia since 2012. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. That happened fast. That is right. Yeah. <laughs> we are. Yeah. It's been, man, it's been, it's been a sweet journey and in one sense seems really fast, but it's been, uh, it's been a long journey too. So, but yep, that's right. Right awesome. outside Washington, DC. I can actually from where I'm sitting right now, see the Capitol building right across the river. Awesome. That's well, thanks awesome. for being with us today. Yeah. Good to be here. You know, Garrett, before we hop in here to the questions, you know, one of the things, if anybody's on Twitter, maybe they've seen, they've come by some of your, your posts. One of my favorite things just from afar is seeing the way that you use GIFs and memes to share <laughs> yes. about the gospel. And it is amazing. <laughs> so take us through about just a little bit about how that came to be and why, why you're doing it. Yeah. So I don't know. I have a, a knack for kind of seeing stupid things, whether it be in movies or whatever, and thinking about connections with spiritual realities. And I think there's enough nonsense on social media that I want to provide an opportunity to yeah laugh at, laugh at some things, you know, if, if it's worth laughing at uh, and provide a little bit of just encouragement and, you know, a reason to, to, to smile, but also to consider things. And so it's kind of a dual thing. I want to do both edifying entertainment, but also mix it with posts that are serious and, you know, intended to point people toward, toward Jesus. So yeah, it's a little bit of a fun thing. Sometimes I'll do with the kids. We'll look through some stupid videos and think about, Hey, what can we learn about the Lord or about our lives and that and put it together and post it. So yeah, that's, yeah. Sometimes it's a time waster, but sometimes it's, it's just fun to do. So <laughs> love that's it. awesome. If you don't follow Garrett, you should do so. It's a, it's a joy to see what he posts. <laughs> well, man, we just want to hop in here and, and hear about your leadership journey. You know, as we talked about, you've been at Delray Baptist since 2012. And even before that, there's so much to your, to your journey. So just walk us through the different leadership roles that you've been in over the years that have led you to where you are today. Yeah, I really think of those as kind of BC and then since I've, I've been a Christian. So I've been a Christian for about 20, 24 years now, by God's grace. My life before being a Christian was very much kind of athlete, party scene sort of lifestyle. And I, I really used all of the influence that I had there to point people toward sin, really. And I wouldn't have thought of it that way. I thought we were just having a good time. But that was my life was about the party uh, and about trying to get as much out of it as I, as I could. And then after I became a Christian, God helped me to see that influence is really a stewardship that I'm going to have to give an account for. And in his grace, those early years tried to use a lot of my influence with a lot of my non-Christian friends to point them to Jesus. We did some events in my hometown, even with people we used to party with, try to get them together and talk about Christ. And then ever since, whatever, yeah, whatever kind of leadership the Lord has given me, tried to steward it in a way that my hope is uh, similar to Jim Elliott. Like you kind of want to be a, a fork in the road with somebody that after an encounter in some way, shape or form, I hope they're going to think more about Jesus and more highly of Jesus. And so whether that be a Bible study or whether it be pastoral roles, you know, I've had the opportunity to serve as an evangelism pastor at a church 
church in Texas and then helped to plant a church where I served for seven and a half years. Then actually stepped away for a season to go to Capitol Hill Baptist Church where I served as an intern. Uh, that's where I say I got Baptist brainwashed by Mark Dever. But it was, it was a really edifying time to step away from being a kind of a lead pastor and sit under an older, wiser pastor. A little bit of a practical PhD is the way I thought about it, it as a bit of a residency to watch a man steward authority well and then go out from there. We were either going to go plant a church in Dubai, which was the plan. And then the Lord opened this door here in Delray, which is in Alexandria, Virginia. And it was an old dead Baptist church. And in God's kindness have been here for, yeah, since, since, since 2012. So yeah, about 20 years of pastoral ministry. It's been, been sweet. There've been sweet things and hard things, but yeah, God's, God's been, been gracious along with that. You know, I have a family, I have six kids. So well, there's always some kind of leadership going on uh, in that. <laughs> I love, I uh, love sports. So coach basketball teams, coach flag football teams, coach soccer teams. So those are all the, the other kind of things that are in my arena at these times. You know, Gary, you're talking about the, the different roles you were in in pastoral ministry. And, you know, that's, that's pretty awesome that you were able to kind of take a season and, and sit Capitol Hill and learn. But then stepping, I mean, man, those are two different worlds to go over to Dubai or to stay in D.C. Mm-hmm. So that is you talked about forks in the road earlier, but mm-hmm. that seems like a big one. But stepping into a church revitalization, you know, some people would say, hey, I want to go plan a church. It's something brand new. Start something fresh. Revitalization is taking you know, a church, as you just said, it's a, it's kind of a declining church and you're, you're, you're working to allow it to have some vibrancy again. So, you know, for those who are listening and maybe they don't, they're not familiar with what revitalization looks like, can you just walk us through what that looked like stepping in and maybe even some of the, the leadership lessons that you've learned while serving in a, a church like that and church revitalization? Yeah. You know, in, in one sense, whether you're planting a church or revitalizing, being a part of a revitalization, you're pastoring. So you're, you're, you're going to be a pastor who's helping to lead people. And the question is, do you want to make your own mess or do you want to clean up someone else's mess? And it's a little <laughs> bit of both. And by God's grace, I've you know been able to help plant a church and also be a part of a revitalization. And you know, stepping in, I think one of the things you want to, you want to learn uh, initially is to see who, who's here. And typically people who are around, there's going to be a mix of either people who are have been praying for a long time and really asking God to do something in their church. And so in one sense, what you and the team who you're with is about is really an answer to prayer for them. So I think you want to learn those people, love those people, be careful to not run over those people with agendas and all that kind of stuff. You're there to serve them. You're, you're their pastor. Uh, so I think there's got to be some, there's a, there's a slower pace sometimes with the revitalization to where there are things you'd like to change because you don't like, but you might lose the ear of the people who are there and it's not going to be worth it. So you got to endure some stuff that maybe you wouldn't have to in a, a church plant. And there's going to be some other people who I'm just kind of waiting to see if you're going to be like the next pastor and they're going to find some reason to not like to come after you. And that's part of leadership. And, you know, and by God's grace, you just have to be, be okay with people not liking everything that you do and try to pray for them and hopefully win some of their hearts uh, along the way to Christ. And so, yeah, I mean, for us, it was a, it was a sweet, it was a sweet arrival. You know, that when it comes to revitalization, the deader, the better is, mm-hmm. is kind of a, a thing to keep in mind. Cause if, if they're still kind of kicking and think all they need is a better pastor, mm-hmm. it's probably not going to be the answer. I mean, what they, they need a wholesale kind of like, we got to gut some things. And you know, the church here was, had been humbled and by circumstance uh, and, and God's kindness, I think to be, to be ready. So we came through and, you know, I think sometimes you want to, you want to find what are the things that are really helpful changes that maybe won't make everybody frustrated. So like getting rid of the organ, maybe is not the first thing you want to do. You know, <laughs> if that's a big thing for the congregation or a choir or whatever, if that's part of what you think needs to change, but the way you bring in members 
They might not really care about that much, but that's going to change the entire culture of the church of expectations for coming in. What does it look like to do gospel life here? All that kind of stuff. So you can, you got to figure out what are the things that you can change that are going to be long-term healthy for the congregation that might not cost a lot up front. And that's going to build confidence. And then I think preach the word, pray, because God's the one who changes and preach the word. Because as, as people feast on the word, they change and they grow. And I'll tell you what, brothers, like there's a guy named Butch at our church who him watching what God's done in his life. He's 70 years old. When I first got here, he came up to me. It was a son. It was in September. And he said, uh, he said, Hey Garrett, I want you to let you know, glad you're here. You're probably not going to see me for the next couple months. He said, it's nothing personal. I said, okay. I said, is everything all right? He said, yeah. He said, I've, I got, I got season tickets to the, to the Redskins, which that's what it was called at that time. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, well, we'd still love to have you at church. He's like, well, you know, I'm probably going to go to the games. I said, all right, well, over the next year, he came to Bible studies and he grew in the word that next September, he came up to me and he said, Hey, Gary, I want to let you know, you're probably going to be seeing more of me on Sunday. And I says, that because Washington's so bad. And he's like, no, he goes, that, he goes, that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't hurt. He goes, but you know, he goes over this past year, I've learned more from the Bible than I have my whole life. And I want to be around God's word and God's people. And mm. man, the whole thing's been worth it for Butch. Like just watching him grow, he's going to finish better. And, and I'm, I'm thankful to be a part of that. Yeah. That's so cool, man. That's a great story. Yeah, well, let's continue on in the questions here. Um, can you tell us about a pivotal moment that you look back on that changed your leadership and your life? Let me give you, if I can give you two, they're kind of the same. They're, they're interrelated in different ways. So the first, the first is birthed out of failure. So the first three years of my pastoring in Texas, I, I was a single, single guy and I was struggling with pornography secretly. So I would, yeah, sometimes it was once a week, sometimes once a month, sometimes every other month. I hated it. Like I, I didn't want it. I loved it, but I hate it. You know, you know how it was with sin. And I, but I felt as a young, see, one of the things I think I got put on stage too quickly because I have a unique story about how I came to know the Lord. I have gifts. I have a personality that sometimes people want to put on stage and that kind of stuff. And I think because of those things, I got put into a leadership position too early. Uh, I needed to be sat on by an older, wiser man who would help me like just say, stay put and grow up and mature and learn how to handle your life and walk with Jesus in some ways, both privately and publicly. I think that would have helped me a lot. I'm not blaming anybody else for my sin, but I, I, I hid that. I didn't know what to do because I felt like if I confessed and was honest, everybody around me would not follow Jesus anymore. And it was just going to be so that went on for a while. And eventually I had a buddy named Reed Monahan. Uh, he was an Acts 29 a church planter. We were going to go plant a church in New Jersey and I basically just laid out everything to him because I felt, I felt deep down, like I needed to be honest. And, mm -hmm. you know, he looked me in the eyes and he said, Garrett, I love you. He said, but I don't feel comfortable moving forward in our plans to plant a church together. And to be honest with you, brother, I, I don't know that you're qualified to be a pastor right now. And you need to go back and talk to your elders. And that began really the hardest year of my life in 2007 when I, I stepped into the light. And I remember standing on stage in front of the congregation and telling them what I did and about my, my struggles with it and how I'd been hiding things. And, you know, my, my greatest fears came to pass in those moments, like fear of man, like that would, that's, that's what had hindered me from being honest. I was afraid of what people would think. And I, you know, I used to think I'd have to die in order to stop looking at porn. And, um, that night, that's what happened. I died on that stage, you know, mm -hmm. and God and his kindness made me step into light. And, 
So that was, you know, a huge lesson for me was that in leadership and in ministry, being a Christian, like you don't have to have it all together. And if you pretend and you're giving people like not, you're not showing really the gospel. Gospel life is that Jesus comes for weak, desperate, needy, broken sinners. And you don't stop that because you're a leader, because you're a pastor. You're the, you're the model of how to resist sin and repent of it and how to navigate those tricky waters of needing God's grace. So that was a hard lesson. And it was, it was a really hard year, but it was the best year of my life. And I wouldn't trade it for anything because I got, I got Jesus in a way that uh, I don't think I could have had apart from, apart from those dark valleys. So that was, that was tricky. And the other, I think leadership thing, the kind of pivotal moment was deciding to step away after three. So after that was restored there, served for another three years and then decided to step away and to go sit under an older, wiser pastor. I just felt like I needed a season of that. You know, I had gifts. I just didn't know how to shepherd. I didn't know what to do. (laughs) I mean, like I, I knew how to preach. I knew how to teach people to evangelize, how to love one another. But I didn't, I didn't, I just felt like I, I need some guidance. So going and sitting under Mark was, was really helpful. He's, he's, he's uniquely gifted with giving away authority. Like he's not building his own kingdom in a way that I found really, really encouraging and learned a lot from him. So those two things were, were really pivotal moments for me. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, I'm curious, you know, we've had another guy on the podcast named Shane Pruitt, who oversees NextGen for NAM. Um, And one of the quotes that he's I've seen from him is saying that the church needs to not look for rock stars, but for the called. And I feel like so often we get that guy that is, you know, a rock star and put them into a leadership position too fast. What would you say, you know, looking back at your story where you've got charisma and people put you on the stage quicker, what would you say in to other maybe rock stars out there that have been put in a position, but you know, are hiding secret sin or hiding, you know, difficulties. What would you want to tell them if they're listening to the podcast today? You know, everybody's a little, little different. So I, I think what I would, what I would have said to me would have been, and I wouldn't have been a rock star, but I know exactly what you mean. I would say be humble enough to know you need godliness is more important than being glamorous. You know, I mean, you, you need to be putting sin to death and be willing to allow God to, to mature you at whatever rate that's going to come so that you can make it home. The goal is not to be a, a flash in the pan, but rather to persevere in faith. And I think we see that's one of the things that happens with a lot of you know, guys who come in and they're, they're flashes and they're, they're popping. And then the next thing you know, they've DQ'd themselves and they're out and they've hurt a lot of people and confused people about who Jesus is. And I think part of it is that they weren't, I think they weren't humble enough sometimes to submit under leaders. And, and, you know, I think we're in an age we're worldly, to be honest with you, where we think there's power in somebody who's smart and sexy and funny and whatever it is. And like, that's just not where power is. Power's in the gospel. Mm. So we want gospel men who have gospel lives, who are about Jesus and like, really, really it's about him. You know what I'm saying? So a, fr- a friend of mine named Isaac Adams, he's a, he's a pastor now down in Alabama. He's a wonderful example. He's an African-American brother who served at Capitol Hill Baptist Church while I was there. Super gifted, super godly, super charismatic. Like he can, he does the United We Pray podcast. which is an excellent podcast. Well, anyway, that brother, because he's gifted and because he was African-American, was constantly being called saying, hey, come and do this big thing. Come and do this big thing. And watching that brother humbly say, I, I not yet, 
and listening to other brothers who God had put around him, knowing that he wanted to grow a little more in maturity before he stepped out. And now he's a pastor of a church and doing, doing, doing good things. But the sort of sobriety that he has from waiting and trusting and taking the long view has been hugely encouraging to me. We need more men like that. So, mm, Amen. Mm, that's a great example. Well, Garrett, let's go to younger Garrett and think back to what was your biggest mistake as a leader getting started and maybe how that helps set you up for success later down the road. Yeah. So aside from the big thing that I shared with you there, learning to walk in the light. So that, that's really the big lesson from that learning to lead in the light. So mm-hmm. our team has all access passed to my life and they can ask me anything at any time. And they've got, they can, you know, if they see something on social media that I've said, and they say, you shouldn't have said that I'm deleting it. Like the whole, everything they have all access pass. Right. You know, aside from that, I think, you know, so one of the things for me early on, if there was a text that was uncomfortable, sometimes when I'm preaching, I would feel kind of the, the need to say something funny to lighten the minute when the weight of the text was actually weighty on purpose. And I had somebody who helped me. He's like, Hey, you know, I, th- I think, you know, you're a good preacher. Appreciate that. But you have this thing that sometimes when it gets awkward because it's heavy, you try and say something funny to like lighten the moment. He goes, I just don't think that serves a text. And your job is to serve the text. Not to make it comfortable for everybody in the room. So I think part of being a pastor is that you've got to be willing to be led by the word and wherever that word takes you, let it go there and let God do the work that he's doing and don't short circuit it because it's, it's, it's uncomfortable. Also, another thing, you know, to not use people as props, I think is an important thing. Sometimes, uh, you know, we can, we can kind of, you know, use straw men or different things like that to kind of get our point across or look good. And I can remember one particular time I was a, an evangelism pastor at, at a church in, in Texas and I was doing a training seminar on how to share the gospel with Mormons. And it was a, it was a packed house and we were talking about all this kind of stuff. And I, I kind of got on this little deal where I was talking about, you know, the guys come on their bikes and they're wearing their outfit and little elder this. And I started doing this thing and making this whole deal. And then the room was laughing and it was kind of, it was a funny moment as it were. Well, at the end, after we were done, you know, and I'm thinking, man, I crushed that thing. It was great. Praise the Lord, you know, (laughs) and this sweet couple came up and they said, Hey brother, we want to say thank you so much for what you gave us today. We feel like this is really going to help us in our ministry to some Mormon friends that we have. But if I, if I can just say one thing to you, we almost invited them to come today because we wanted them to hear the true gospel. And we're so thankful we didn't because we think if they'd have been here and they would have heard you mock them, I think it would have pushed them away from Jesus. Even though I know you wouldn't have meant that, I think it would have. And so I just, I want you to think about that. And I ain't forgot that. I mean, that's been 20 something years. And that, that is the faithful sort of wounds of a friend that you need, right? Where they, they rebuked me kindly. They, they knew I was well-intended, but I needed to hear that. I've always kind of had the eye for like, who's out there, the suffering person, but that helped to really bring it home. Like who's listening? And you don't want to say something that's unnecessarily going to make somebody's ear turn off to Jesus, you know? And I think we can, we can do that in our politically charged day. We can do it with all sorts of different things. There's, we just have to be careful with our words and really seek to serve people, everybody, and, and be careful to, to serve people and not, not use people. So yeah, those were some, those are, I mean, I could come all day. I've got a whole <laughs> list of things I've messed up on, you know, and I'm, but those are a couple of things I think that have stuck with me. Awesome. Well, coming back to to Garrett, maybe back in Texas, as you were just getting started, is there a book or something out there that you wish somebody would have given you to read as you were getting started in ministry? 
Yeah. But books are, books are helpful, right? But you got to have the right heart to receive a book. So uh, I think there's probably books all around me right now that uh, if I, if I read them with the right heart, that would be helpful. I think though, so if there, let, let's go the two things I need. One, one of them book, I think uh, JC Ryle's A Call to Prayer, 32 pages of soul examining, prodding to prayer. And I think for somebody like me, who can maybe depend on my gifts more than the giver who can maybe trust myself, even though I wouldn't, I know theologically that's wrong. I need to pray more. I'm too self-dependent. I'm too self-reliant. If I'm honest, trust my abilities too much. And I think I did in those days. And I, I think that's going to be an abiding temptation. So I think, yeah, JC Rao's little book, a call to prayer would help me to have, have a sobriety about my need to depend upon the Lord. And then, you know, Thoughts for Young Men, another book by J.C. Ryle, would, I think, have provided some sobriety for me that would have helped me to not try to be the cool pastor. And that's one of the things I look back on in my first, my first tenure. I really felt like I wanted to be the cool pastor. I wouldn't have said it that way, but I, I just wanted to... N- I so not wanted to be one of those stuffy pastors <laughs> that I was, I was going to show people what a cool pastor looked like, which is stupid because that's not the goal of a pastor. A goal of a pastor is to be a godly man and you be who you are. Right. And if, and if you have, you know, gifts to be relatable to people, then praise God. But like, don't make that the goal. The, mm-hmm. the goal is I want to, I want to see Jesus and help people see Jesus. And that's got to be it. So I would say those two books would have been helpful. And then, but I think even more than that would have been somebody older, godly, wiser, who would have read those books with me and modeled it for me and then challenged me to really make sure I'm embodying those things. Because, you know, we can read books in a vacuum and it, but when you've got somebody that's walking with you. So I think some, some mentors, the right kind of mentors would have been really helpful. I'm thankful for the, the people God did bring into my life, but that would have been, that would have been helpful as well. Or that I would have listened to the mentors. I think there were some probably some people who I weren't listening, wasn't listening to as well. Cause I was, I was kind of proud. You know, I think the time that you spent at Capitol Hill with Dever, not everybody gets a opportunity like that, mm-hmm. but would love to dive in a little bit of what you learned in that. And maybe there's, maybe there's my listening going, man, I'd love to pour into younger leaders in that way. Or maybe there's a younger leader listening, even going, man, I, I wish I could be in a position like that. So man, maybe some takeaways from that. If you were to even create your own type of program for that, how would you go about that? Maybe what were some of the things that you really yeah. enjoyed? And yeah. even for you as the one who is sitting under, how can you look for a mentor, even if it's not in a program in the same way that the Capitol Hill program was? Yeah, a lot of good questions there. So in God's kindness, we, we do have a, we have an internship program on my wall over here. We have the pictures of 10 classes that have come through and our, our, our internship program here is, is designed basically out of the place of longing that I wish I had this when I was a, when I was a younger pastor or aspiring mm-hmm. pastor to help me. So there's, there's kind of three men that God have used to mark my life. A guy named Tommy Nelson, um, who's a, a Bible teacher in Texas who I learned the Bible from. And uh, yeah, he helped me to love the word and know the word. Then uh, there's a biblical counselor named John Henderson, um, who really helped me in that year 2007 to understand that the gospel applies to brokenness. And then Mark Dever, who's helped me understand better about what the church is, what leadership is, those sorts of things. And God has used each of those three men to really shape who I am as a leader. And so our program is kind of designed after that. It's we have kind of three, you know, we have a Bible track, we have a gospel to brokenness, so biblical counseling track, and then we have a ecclesiology theology track. They're all kind of flowing three rivers at the same time, but that's designed out of 
what I feel like I wish I'd have had all at once at the beginning that would have helped me. So, you know, first of all, for somebody who's like, I, I would like to do something like that. I think you figure out who's God made you. Uh, what are the things that you can uniquely bring? What's a bit of your story that you can use those, even some of the things you wish you had, <laughs> that you can be that for somebody else. I think that's, you, you can find some real source of, of, of passion in that. So, you know, our, our program is designed is nine months where if I can get a guy who aspires to be a pastor for nine months, here's all the things that we think you need to think through and read through and process. Mm-hmm. We can't make somebody an elder, like only God can do it. And he's, he gives elders as gifts, pastor, uh, pastors as gifts. But we want to feed them the right things, make them think through the right things, all that kind of stuff. We want that to be to be part of the the, the, the process. I think if you want that sort of leader, then you got to pray, ask God to help you to seek his face and that, yeah, start asking around, ask your pastor, hey, would you be open to pouring into me in this way? And if not you, are there any programs out there that you can think of that you could connect me with? Because I'd, I'd love to be, I'd love to do that. So there's no, you know, magical formula on that, but I think serving and ministering out of a place of passion is really important. Don't try to replicate something everybody else does, but yeah, what's going to uniquely be able to use the gifts that you have. So last question for you, before we move to our quick hitter questions, you know, was there a big misconception you had as to what being a leader meant for you back in the day? Probably that failure is fatal. I think I would have thought the failure was fatal. And because of that, I was afraid. I think I ministered too much out of fear, fear of what people would think of me, fear of being looked at as not a good pastor, fear of my sermons not being that good, fear of squandering gifts, fear of whatever. I was, I was, I think I was more afraid. The fear of man is a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord is safe. And I I wish I would have understood that more. I thought failure was fatal. And that's, that's what hindered me from really being honest. I think the best leaders are transparent ones who like, so for me, my, my kind of my, I surround myself with people who love me and are not impressed with me. Like those are the safest people for me. They love me. They care about me. They want me to love God, love my family and make it to heaven. And they are not impressed with me. They don't care if I'm on a podcast. They don't care if I've written something. They don't care where I speak. They don't, I mean, if God gives it, they're sure. I hope God blesses it, but they're not about my brand. Like that's the stupidest thing in the world. Like we're about Jesus and they want me to love Jesus. Like those people are hugely helpful. And that, that sort of gospel environment allows me to fail in ways that fail forward, that, that fail in perseverance, moving toward heaven where, where failure and death and everything will be put, put away forevermore. But I, I think that was a misconception. I just thought I had to have it all together. I thought I had to be flashy. I thought, I thought power was in, you know, I knew it wasn't in anything but the word, but I didn't, I don't think I believed it deep down. I thought there was more power in stories and how you looked and all that kind of stuff. And I think, I think that was wrong. Well, let's move to the quick hitter questions here. And these will be short one minute answers. And the first one is this. So what is your ideal daily routine? What time you wake up, get into the office, all that good stuff. Four days a week, I'm up about 5.15. Two of those are to do a little bit of of prayer time. And then I go teach a Bible study from 6.30 to 7.30 at our church for our interns and then people who are on their way to work. The other two days up at 5.15 for a a group of guys who comes over to my house and we work out from six to seven. And uh, so start the day with, with those things. 
And then each day, so two week, two days a week, I have this kind of study days where I'm reading, praying, and I have big chunks of you know writing. Have have those days blocked off. The other two days are meeting days where I'm meeting with members, counseling stuff, you know, whatever admin meetings, those sorts of things. I have a day off and I guard it like ruthlessly. Yeah, I don't don't unless somebody's dying, and then you know, I mean, I'm unavailable unless you want to go fishing or something like that. But um, <laughs> I'm I'm off. I guard my days off. I am home just about every night. Sometimes I'm speaking somewhere or something's happening, but, but even my travel days, they're very short. Uh, I mean, I've had a, a certain number of days per year and we keep it within that because I want to be home. I have six kids again, like I, and I'm dead. Like I'm a Christian and then I'm a husband and then I'm a dad. And then I'm a member of Delray Baptist church who happens to serve as a pastor. And sometimes I do other stuff. So I have to keep my identity in order. And that's, yeah. So I would try and do my days around, around those kind of things. That's great. What's one of your best productivity hacks or tips? Yeah, three of them. Number one, I want to log out of social media regularly. So though I do social media stuff, I typically am on half of the year. So I'll log off for a month at a time. And you know, one of my buddies has my password, changes it, and I can't get back on. And it's great. I don't even miss it. And then I, and then I come back and I'm like, everybody's so mad. What are we mad about? I'm like, I, shouldn't, I, don't, even, I, don't, I don't even want to know. I don't want to know. So I'm regular, regularly disconnecting because the internet can tempt you to be everywhere except where you are. You know, so mm-hmm. um, I want to I want to be careful. So I do that. Number two would be the Freedom app. It's a uh, it's an app where you can set a schedule to lock things. So right now, I have it set like at certain night at ten o'clock. Everything sports shows stocks, everything starts with an S all of it shuts off. Um, (laughs) because I don't, I need to go to bed. Like it just turns, it turns it all off. So I'm in mid composing a tweet and there it goes. I'm like, well, there, all right, no more. And it locks everything out. Uh, and then there's certain days. So Wednesdays and Fridays I'm locked out. So I can't get on any of that kind of stuff. And it's really liberating because uh, it, it, it minimizes distractions. And then the third one is something called Speechify. I can listen a lot better than I can read. I'm a slow reader. So I will get Speechify can read. And you know, the, uh, the guy who does BBC World, Planet Earth, you know, the narrator, you yeah, know, his yeah, voice David is like, you know, whatever he is, he reads everything <laughs> to me. And it's amazing. You can also do Snoop Dogg's voice. So sometimes I'll just put on the Bible and Snoop will be reading it to me just so I can know he's hearing the scriptures. But, but those three things have been, they've been really helpful for me. Yeah. So Speechify, like I'm reading an article. If I, it'll just put it into you can copy and paste, you can copy and paste, put it in, hit play and it'll, yeah, it'll read it to you. And our church, so we invested in, you know, to where you can get, uh, there's, you know, different levels with anything these days, but like our staff have found it helpful. There's some people who read faster than they can listen. I can listen really three times faster than I can read. And so mm-hmm. I'll put an article in. So all my tabs that I have open, I'll just put them in there. And I, when I'm driving, I'll listen to it. Or when I'm just sitting here and I can follow along and read it. I do it with the intern papers, all the papers they write, we put them in Speechify and that guy reads them to me and I follow along and make notes. And it's just, it, it's been, it saved me years of my life, I think. Well, I just downloaded That's awesome. it. That's a great one. There you go. That's awesome. Seriously. Speechify, if you hear that, can we get a discount? Thank yeah. you. Anyway, this, is, this, this podcast is now sponsored by Speechify. Use promo code. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to work. Yeah, it won't. What's, what's an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? That's a great question. I don't know if it's unusual. I really try to make my family first. I, I feel like they only get one dad. I don't have to be a pastor, but I'm going to be their dad. And Carrie, Carrie can't get another husband. I'm going to be her, her husband. And so unfortunately it might be unusual, but I, and to be honest with you, 
there were times when I couldn't go do things and speak at things because of my family. And I, I got a little bitter in my heart and the Lord really had to do some work and humble me to help me to understand that they are the exact family that I need to run at the exact pace that he wants me to, not what I want to. And that really loving them is slowing down and serving them. So one of the things here's the habit then. So like after, after our, we record this here in about an hour, I'm going to go home and I do something called dying at the door. What that means is I park my truck outside and I will not get out of the truck until I'm dead. And what I mean by that is I give the Lord every email I didn't write, every person I'd Oh, I got to call them or I got to text them. Every project that's not done, I give it to him until I'm dead. And then I get out of the truck and then I walk into the house ready to serve, ready to play ball, ready to do whatever. And Carrie's trained the kids like, daddy ain't dead. Don't go get him yet. Let, let him die in the car and then, <laughs> and then he'll come out. But that, but that has been, that's been huge. Cause otherwise if I go in thinking about all the things that I don't have done, I'm not going to love my family. They're going to, I'm going to get irritated with them and push them out of the way while I got to go finish some email or whatever. Like, no, I'm dad. I'm husband. I want to come home and, and try and be a servant and love them and, and they'll love me. And yeah. So we were talking a little bit before the show that your family is going to see the Taylor Swift movie tomorrow. Does that mean that you are going to go as Travis Kelsey to that movie for them? So my, my wife would want to clarify, she is, she is not going to watch that movie. And I am not sure that I am. I'm pretty sure I'm not either. But my, my oldest daughter is, and they're dressing up in the different stages of Taylor Swift's career. And I was going to wear a Travis Kelsey jersey and, and take them. So if, if I'm still trying to score one, I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan, so I feel a little gross putting it on, but I can respect game, can respect game. So anyway, so yeah, but, but in case anybody's wondering, no, my wife is not dressing up as, uh, as, uh, Tay Tay for Halloween because she's been getting texts and emails since I re- sent out the request for the Jersey. So sorry about that. That's awesome. Well, l- let me ask you this. Uh, what is uh, your favorite app on your phone? Maybe other than the speechify app or, or the Bible app? Yeah. So, I mean, I've got a couple, there's two apps that uh, have been helpful. One is it's an, it's an app that helps me to kind of track what I eat. And the other one is tracking my, my Bible reading. So for me, it's just helpful to kind of have, and uh, like, what am I, cause I, one of my, one of my comforts is just eat too much, drink too much. Like I want to, I want to just sulk on, you know, good things that taste nice. And I just got to be careful, you know? So for me, I try and, you know, set, set some goals with my workout and what I'm, my intake and all that kind of stuff. And so I have an app that kind of helps me navigate that. And then also, so one's on that kind of bread and the other's on the, the daily bread that helps me just keep track of what I'm reading. And, uh, cause I don't typically have the, the typical Bible reading plan. I'll just grab a book here and there and, and read through. And, uh, that's been helpful to, to keep up with, with how I'm doing. Speaking of reading, what's been the best book you've read in the last six months? Oh man. So I tend to read a bunch of books at, at one time. I'm not like a, you know, just, I finish a book in the next. So uh, a few, a few, uh, let's see here, very different kinds. One, um, it's one that's forthcoming. Uh, so I wrote a, a little blurb for it. It's called a time to mourn grieving the loss of those whose eternities were uncertain by a guy named Will Dobby. It's all about how should Christians think about losing people they loved who probably are, they're not going to spend eternity with. It's a really sobering read, but it is really helpful. He handles things theologically wonderfully. And I I was very edified by a really challenging sort of read. Uchi Anazor wrote a book called Overcoming Apathy, which I thought I was going to read to help other people because I don't tend to be very apathetic. I'm more passionate. It was so good. Gospel hope for those who struggle to care. How do you think when you're just kind of like, I know I should care more about Jesus, but I really just don't. 
It's a very accessible, great book put out by Crossway. That was that was excellent. The Lighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves, our elders read together. That was super encouraging. Uh, You're Not Crazy by Ray Ortland and Sam Alberry, all about gospel culture. That was very good. And then uh, Rebecca McLaughlin has a new book called No Greater Love on Friendship. Hmm. And uh, it's, anything she writes is like fire all the time. So yeah, those are some things recently that have been really edifying. And I tend to never read alone, meaning anytime I'm going to read a book, I'm always going to ask somebody else, hey, would you read this with me? And then let's, let's talk about it. I find that to be helpful accountability and also just it's better together. So Awesome. The last question for you is what's one sentence of advice that you'd give to somebody going into a leadership position for the very first time? You know, I think it probably, I don't think it, I don't think it's, it's just for pastors. I think anybody, I, I think be led by God before you lead others, be led by God before you lead others, whatever area of influence you're in, God's put you there and he's put you there to be faithful with whatever's entrusted, but it's always in the context of relationships. And so whether you're a pastor or a plumber, whether you're a a politician or whatever it is that you do, you should seek to be led by God so that as you're influencing others, you're influencing them toward him and not away from him. Because on the last day, when we give an account for every word, deed, everything, we want to make sure that everything we've done is helping people to see Jesus, savor Jesus, and follow Jesus. And so, yeah, I'd say be, be led by God before you, you lead others. Pray, read, confess. That, fuel, that gives you courage. Like when you're near to God, like people's opinions just don't matter as much. You can have compassion, be forgiving, patient, humble, all that. Lord help us. Well, Garrett, thanks for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey. And uh, thank you for listening. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. And if it has, head on over to wherever you're listening to the podcast, leave us a rating and review so other leaders like yourself can find the podcast. And we'll see you next time.